another episode of the Burnley Podcast, along with my podcast mates Tom and Thomas. Uh, pretty good one we got today. Tom's back in town from Europe. He's uh, been quarantining. He's been absolutely loving that. Um, great. We're going to talk about what's been going on uh, in the league a little lately. We had uh, some news come out today. The Flames and Leafs played on Monday. They uh, also played tonight. And we also have a special guest coming on uh, a little bit later in the show. Um, his name is Mike Vernace. Played some time in the NHL, AHL, went over to Europe for a bit. And uh, he's running a hockey school that he's been doing for a while now. So if that's going to be coming a little later, make sure you stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, we had some big things happen um, the past few days. Um, I guess we're going to start it off with a, a feel-good story, if you want to put it like that. Um, Sidney Crosby played his 1,000th game Saturday night. Um, feels like he's been in the league forever because he has been. It's been yeah. um, a little bit over. This is 15th season. Something like that. Yeah, and just with all the injuries he's gone through, and he should have hit this milestone a while back. But Three years ago, right? At least, yeah. yeah. He, he missed a lot of time with the concussions and, and all that. But Sid hitting that 1,000th game mark has... This guy is a bona fide Hall of Famer, obviously. He's mm-hmm. probably going down as at least top 10, at the very least top 10 of all time. Yeah. Um, I just kind of reflecting back, guys, what like has been your favorite Sidney Crosby moment in his career? Tom, you want to go? With you, Tom. Yeah, I'll start with you, Tom. Uh, I think the... I guess, like, one of the more recent ones is not something, like, he's done. You can say the golden goal or... Yeah, yeah. Um, the back-to-back cups leading that team. Something more recent that just sticks in my head was the, I believe it was against the Devils two years ago, and everybody was like, oh, Sydney's washed a little bit on the tail end of his career, yada, yada, yada. Like, is this finally the downturn of him? And then, like, 10 or 15 games into the season, he pulls off, I believe yeah. it was a wicked overtime goal. He just plays, like, ping-pong with the ball, bat- <laughs> or with the puck over the defenseman, around the goalie, who I'm not sure who was in net that night. Kincaid. It was Kincaid. I was going to say Blackwood, but I wasn't sure if he no, was, it was even there Kincaid. yet. Uh, right. It was over Kincaid and just bats it out of midair into mm-hmm. the net and was like, well, guess it's still here. And he's still here now, and he will be for a few more years. And, but yeah, uh, Thomas, I'll let you take it over because I know he is your favorite player of all time. Yeah he's, well, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite players of all time, and Russo giving respect to Crosby right off the bat. But, I mean, obviously the golden goal is number one for me, but my I think that another favorite of mine is when he came back from the injury against the Islanders and he scored that unbelievable goal. Like, he just comes back. I just remember the craziness leading up to that game. I've never seen a player so... Um, like, everyone was just talking about the return of Sidney Crosby, and he's finally coming back. And then... He definitely scores that goal. I think it was Anders Nilsson in net for the Islanders, but that game was uh, provided by CBC, and CBC never provides two American teams against each other during the week, especially. It's always on the weekends, and they did that game because of Sidney Crosby, so that just tells you the impact he had on the sport and hockey and the world in Canada for that matter, so that's definitely one of my Sid memories I have, so how about you, uh... Russo, what's your Crosby memory that sticks out to you the most? You know, you guys kind of, well, Thomas definitely took the two moments I was going to say. The golden goal is obviously such a, like, big moment, especially in Canadian history. Like, that gold medal game we can all go back to, and, like, they blew the lead, and 
you know, then I don't necessarily think Crosby was having the greatest game, and then he scores that goal, and, like, just, I remember, like, that was 11 years ago, like, nuts. Yeah. Just, yeah, unbelievable moment there. I was going to say the goal against the Islanders, because Thomas, like you said, it was, like, just so crazy, like, the craziness that surrounded that game. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, CBC picked it up. I think it was, like, a Wednesday night or a Tuesday yeah. night, and CBC picked it up, and, and, like, he comes back, and it says his patented backhand that's harder than most guys wrist shots um that he just ripped over the shoulder of that goalie and yeah that was crazy but if uh i'm gonna say one uh you know what that goal he scored against the oilers a few years back oh. in overtime where he danced around ryan strom and you have kind of mcdavid creepy in the back not back checking because he doesn't play defense i'm just joking i'm just joking um he's actually having a really good defensive year but he takes out ryan strom and then shoves it over the glove hand and cam talbot and just like that's sid you know yep. it's you know he's if anyone ever doubt Sidney crosby just he will do stuff to you like that it's yep. one of the best of all time and it's like i feel almost thankful that we grew up in an era where we got to watch his career basically from start to finish mm-hmm. it's awesome you know best one of the best of all time you know you can say maybe the mantle's been passed to mcdavid but Man, it's been a he's had a really good career and like he's still going so strong. Like it's unbelievable. Um for Sid. But um I don't know, you guys have anything else to add on uh on Sid the Kid, or I guess not kid anymore, but No, yeah. No, nothing more to add. There's we could talk about Crosby for hours and hours and there's oh, still yeah. like good stuff to talk about, so Yeah. Um I guess moving on, we'll go into the news that broke this morning before we get into the Leafs and Flames. Yep. Uh Claude Julian fired by the Montreal Canadiens this morning. Kirk Moore also gone. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the new coach's name. He was an associate coach, I believe, before. Let me just look it up real quick. But uh, Claude Julien out the door, um, along with Kirk Moore. Is I'll it Dominic guys... Ducharme? Yes, that, I didn't know how to say his name, but that was it right there, Dominic Ducharme. Um, they obviously get just absolutely destroyed by the officiating or the war room last night like yeah. should have been a goal the Habs should have won that game in regulation maybe called Julian as a job this morning but call goes the other way Ottawa wins in a shootout and all hell breaks loose um I'll let you guys take it I just I don't necessarily know if this is the right move for Montreal but I'll let mm-hmm. you guys um start it off here yeah like I'm actually kind of surprised they fired him i know we talked a little bit about like who would be the first coach to go and uh thomas you said the rangers expect them to fire their coach yeah we even brought up like travis green could potentially go as a last move for benning um jeff ward should have been gone a month ago (laughs) yeah that guy too that later and i think i'm starting to agree with you of like claude julian this came out of nowhere who expected this like really and what happened in the matter of two weeks of oh the Habs are a complete juggernaut of a team and two weeks later they fire their coach I don't know about you but that's not the a juggernaut of a team if you're doing that and uh, a little bit more in terms of like we can see this coming um, and it's Rachel Dory she used to work for the Devils um, not quite sure what she's doing now at least she has a podcast, but she brought a, a very good amount of stats of basically the Habs are a good team overall. Um, their five on five is quite 
good penalty kill power play atrocious but they were just riding a tremendous pdo bender like the shots were going in when they needed it to be they were giving up high danger scoring chances against like it was candy on halloween and carrie price had like a 962 save percentage with that it was completely unsustainable Mm -hmm. um and it was never gonna keep going the way it was they played toronto then they like ran into Ottawa and you lose what two of three to Ottawa or something or at least back to back I think is what it was yeah back to uh, back uh like you can't do that and expect to be a good team in this league and uh, I'll say it like you can play Vancouver as much as you like and beat up on them as much as you like the rest of the division is going to and unfortunately for the Habs Tyler Toffoli only gets to play Vancouver <laughs> 10 times this year can't be all 56 and that's really what their like their downfall was this team is a lot more human than <laughs> a lot of the media was making it up and we talked about it we didn't yeah, think yeah. they were very good or at least not a juggernaut contender uh but yeah it's a surprise for me yeah there's so many narratives that play into this scenario like you can say oh was it because the goal last night was it because carrie price is not playing good there's so many things that go into this story, but it is definitely surprising. Like, I didn't think he would get fired after this loss, but here we are today talking about Claude Julien being fired on the Montreal Canadiens. So, I mean, there was definitely a lot of factors that played into this, whether it was those Ottawa games like you talked about, Tom, or something else happening. Like, I, I don't know, but it's very, like, weird to see a team that has a winning record fire their coach after just two losses versus the Ottawa Senators. I don't know what's the Ottawa Senators, but like it's just two losses. It's not like five. It's just two. So and you got points in both of them. Yeah, and that's the weirder right. part. They were in the games, but Ottawa shouldn't be in the games. So I don't know. It's tough. Carey Price is not having a good year. I thought that Allen should have started, and Claude Julien made the mistake of bringing uh, Price into the game when Allen had really a really solid start versus the Ottawa Senators. He was the reason they were in that game for that matter, but. It's weird. I think the Canadians are a good team. Just, I, I don't know where the media is going. Are, are they a good team? Are they a bad team? Are they a mediocre team? Because they flip-flop every loss, every win, so they got to pick one. Like, are you in the same boat as me? Like, they haven't picked a, a thing, good, bad, or mediocre, so. Yeah, like, uh, and then also, too, there was a Shea Weber quote, and he basically just flat out, exposed that like this team has internal issues and in terms of like their attitude and the way that they come to every game and maybe that's the way or why Claude Julien was fired to get somebody new in there even though they're not new um yeah it's just really interesting and it'll be really really interesting to see where Montreal goes from here do they bounce back with new leadership or whatever but I don't know I don't know. Rissa? I don't think Claude Julien getting fired is going to make Carey Price a better goalie. That's where I'm at. Oh, agreed. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I, at what point, because I know they say it on every broadcast, and I know people love to pump Carey Price's tires, but we all have to remember this is not the Carey Price from 2015. This isn't even the Carey Price from 2017. He's really faltered. He hasn't been the Habs' best goalie this year. He's sitting at an 8 9 3. And I know you can say whatever you want about it, but that goal last night on Brady Kachuk, got to have that one. Sorry, Kerry, you got to have it. Um, I don't know if this makes him a better team. I don't. I, I think Claude Julien's a really good coach. 
I really, really do. And he's probably going to land on his feet quicker than most may expect it. He may play, he may coach this year. Dave Pagnotta came out and said uh, the Rangers have serious uh, interest in Julian. Maybe he heads to to New York. I've really been pumping to get him hired in Calgary. That's a whole other issue. Um, But at the end of the day, they got to play Jake Allen more. He's been deserving of that. Yep. And again, Tom, you said this is a really strong team at five on five. At five yep, on five, this is, an really eight, eight, this is an extremely dominant team. Where has their downfall been this year and for years past? Special teams. They can't score on the power play, and their PK isn't great. <laughs> Even though they have like so many shorthanded goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, Vancouver also helps with that. Right, right, but, right. Um, this is, again, this is a team that's extremely dominant at five on five, but they can't do anything at special teams to save their lives. And Kirk Moore going, okay, sure. You know, he, he's he been in charge of special teams, and special teams have been garbage. Fine. Yep. I don't know if firing Julian's the best move. See, that's... Maybe, maybe, maybe the Habs go on another heater, and we look like idiots here today. Right, right. Yeah. And, but, and that's where I kind of want to direct things for just quickly a second. I think you said the term does this make them a better team um we we won't know unless they either a go on a winning streak or b go on a losing streak so if they go on a losing streak they're fucked i'm sorry like, they're oh, fucked. Yeah. It, it'll be bad for them but yeah. yeah yeah it's it's a whole it's a storm and like it's crazy how like you said tom like two weeks ago we're talking about how the habs are Stanley Cup contenders and the next are firing their coaches. See, you, you got to pick one. You got you got to yeah, pick one. Exactly, that's and my I, issue. And here's the thing: I don't think they're bad, but I don't think they're great. They're right in the middle. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. They're good. Yeah. And they don't have a true star yet, at least. Yeah. They're you know, up maybe, and coming. Yeah. Maybe Suzuki turns into that guy. Not there yet, though. And I think there were unrealistic expectations put on this team to start the year, at least. I think there oh, were very unrealistic um, expectations. And hey, and I undersold the Habs. So did Thomas. And um, we'll see. I mean, like I said, better goaltending is where it starts. And mm-hmm. that starts with Carey Price. We have a $10.5 million goalie. It starts with that guy. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, moving on. Um, we'll get into this just quick. Flames and Leafs played on Monday. That was fun, wasn't it, guys? <laughs> I fell asleep. I mean, I, I, mean, I had fun. <laughs> wasn't that fun? I had fun. Uh, the Flames came out with a 3 nothing win. Uh, the big storylines from that game came out, you know, before the game. It comes out like an hour before puck drop that Jacob Markstrom will play due to a lower body or upper body injury, uh, probably from his shoulders from carrying the team. <laughs> um, and Freddie Anderson also was deemed out about at the same time that Markstrom was with a lower body injury. So both starting goalies are out. The Leafs were obviously missing Jack Campbell. So Michael Hutchinson gets a start, and big save Dave, David Riddick gets a start for Calgary, and he shuts the Leafs out. Um, Matthew Kachuk got his 100th goal. Um, Those two guys in particular, I thought had, well, obviously Riddick, we know the kind of night he had. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, though, he was awesome. He yeah, really tried the between-the-legs thing again. Yep, his, the first the shot first of the game. shift. Oh, like, yeah, he, he does this every game. And, like, to me, it's no surprise. He does it every game, and... He's talented. I think people forget that. But um, 
yeah, I mean, Riddick was unbelievable. This is almost a carbon copy of the game from last year. Am I am I wrong? Except he gave up a goal, but um, he was unbelievable. That yeah. save on Tavares in the first? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, th- there's some goalies that just have the Leafs number. Riddick yeah. is absolutely one of, one of them. Uh, Georgiev in yes, New York yes. is another. And Corpusalo too. They just yeah. – it's – I guess when you're the Leafs and everybody looks up to you, you just gotta. There's some people that just bring their A game whenever they play them. Like the Sens as a team are the same way. Yeah. And, I don't know. We always talk like people come to Toronto and oh, Stamkos is gonna light them up. <laughs> McDavid's gonna light them up. Oh, like, yeah. McDavid is the whole league. Yeah, McDavid is the whole league, and the whole league. We can <laughs> get into that in a little bit uh, more. But like, yeah, they're just some. Some people just come and light up the Leafs, and I yeah. believe Riddick is going to start tonight. Against he is, Hutchinson yeah. Markstrom, Markstrom didn't skate this morning. The Flames are going with the exact same roster that they iced on um, on Monday, and the right. Leafs are getting Zach Hyman back. Michael Hutchinson is getting the start. Um, so the game, I imagine, is going to have a similar feel. Um, I, I I think, like, I want to just talk about Riddick just for a few seconds longer, if you guys don't mind. It's just... Markstrom got so many starts to start the year, and obviously he was the hot guy. He's, you know, you're paying him six million a year. You would hope he's playing, but I think people forgot David Riddick's a good goalie. He's a, yeah. you know, he's a solid he's your, goalie. He can carry a team, or he can be the starter. Just yeah, he's a one of the best backups in the league. Yeah, and um, I was super happy for him because you know he had a tough start to the year. Um, you know, he hadn't won a game, and he gets the win on Monday and he's one of my favorites just the emotion he shows like if he stops a breakaway he's fire he's getting the boys fired mm-hmm. up um was so happy for David Riddick and I mentioned Matthew Kachuk earlier and I I want to quickly go over with him because the last time the Flames and Leafs played there was the whole shit storm right and yes. the Flames I don't believe we actually went over this because this is something I heard or saw a few, uh, probably about a week and a half back. And it was when the Flames were really going through it. Like those games against the Canucks, those games against the Oilers. And it came out that in that players only meeting that the Flames had, allegedly the leadership core, and by leadership core, Mark Giordano, Sean Monahan, Michael Backlund. I don't know which one of it, which one of them it was. I imagine it was Giordano. <laughs> told Matthew Kachuk he's got to calm down or chill out and relax with his play. What? Why? See, I'm going to go on a limb here and say it's not necessarily the play because, well, if it is, then that's a problem. It, and but I, to be, okay, yeah, sorry, continue. I'll let you if, finish your thought. Sure. Uh, if it's more about like, hey, chill out with the play, then it's if you're going to give it out, at least take it. And when you take it back, don't skate off the ice and Correct, throw yeah. a hissy fit. Correct. Because then that makes the team look mentally weak. It does. You can't tell me that it doesn't make the Calgary Flames look like a completely broken yeah. uh, team. And you have to, if you're part of the leadership, which Kachuk will be in a year or two. Well, he, he's already part of it. He's an assistant captain. Well, he's been he there for but three like, years now. There's still a veteran, whatever. Um, when he actually steps in and is one of the, like, Top dogs on the team. He'll be a ca- he'll be the captain of this team. He could be. He, yeah, he very will much be. could be. He will when be. he hits that spotlight. You can't have your captain running no, off no, and no, throwing no, no. a hissy fit. Yeah. No, because no. then that just looks bad on the whole team. And I think that's more of where that comes from. 
But then, like, what is it? It comes out and it's like, oh, the Flames are considering just completely blowing it up. And the thing that I think makes me the most mad about this is, you know, apparently Kachuk was upset because no one came to his defense when that whole Muzzin situation happened where, you know, he's there's five Leafs around him and everyone's skating off the ice. And he's taking on the whole team. Muzzin... You know, the ref's trying to break them up, and Muzzin's kind of standing there, and Kachuk's trying to get at him, but no one's doing anything. Lindholm's yeah. skating off, Gaudreau's skating off, Monahan's skating off, Giordano, who's known to be feisty a little bit, is skating off, Anderson's going off. And, yeah, I totally get it from Matthew Kachuk's point of view. He caught all that crap two nights earlier with the whatever you want to say on Jack Campbell. Wasn't dirty. Let's not even get into that. He caught all that flack, and nobody came to his defense. Yeah, and, like... I and, see both um, sides to this because I do too. Because he sees like okay, so he's let's say let's put it in terms crying. Let's say that. Let's say that yeah. he, he wasn't, but let's just say he's crying. Very pissed well. off. And, Very pissed off. And nobody's coming to defense. At one, on another hand, I'm like, yeah, I I, I realize why people aren't coming to your defense. You do this a lot in the league, and like maybe they've had enough. And clearly they did because they told him to stop doing it. <laughs> so. And, the, the thing that just gets to me is that Matthew Kachuk has to play this way. And we saw his game kind of fall apart in the next five, six games, probably up until that game on Monday, where he didn't look engaged. And that's the most concerning. If Matthew Kachuk isn't engaged, then we're screwed. And he did look engaged on Monday. He scored a goal. He had an assist. He looked a lot more like himself. He rocked Tavares, which was hilarious, and that not one Leaf said a word to him, which I thought was kind of funny. Where if the leadership group told him that he has to relax or calm down with his play, I know who I'm trading, and I know it's not Matthew Kachuk. And if that's so, you just hand this team to Kachuk right now. You give him the C, and you say, this is your team. And we'll build around you. That's my point of view on it almost. But yeah, uh, thankfully they won on Monday because if they didn't, oof, we could have been in a really bad spot. Um, yeah, know, I think we're I seeing mean, another L coming towards at least tonight. I just yeah. don't feel good. Yeah, and if you're the Flames, put really? everything on Ooh, net because it is Hutchinson. Leafs. See, that's where I think the Leafs are really going to sort of pick their game up, this team's not going to get shut out back-to-back games. No, They're not going to no. be held gold. Oh, you're, oh, you're going to... Starved back-to-back games. And you're going to discredit big save Dave like that? Yeah, I mean, I did say he does always have the Leafs number. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be like really interesting to see because on one hand, big save Dave always shows up against the Leafs. On the other hand, Hutch had, <laughs> outside of the first goal, a, he had a good night. decent game. Especially yeah. for his standards. I didn't think um, he didn't face as many high-danger chances as the Flames yes. would have liked. And that's one thing have. that came out like after the game when the Leafs said that they really limited that. Um, it's taking a playbook from Tampa where they really committed to not it. doing that. And then that's finally what put them over the hump and won them the cup last year was that was the year that they went nothing from the inside. And then the Leafs have done that exact same thing. And I brought it up before. Um, puck possession, shots from the outside in the defensive zone, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and I, I, I also, um, what was I going to say? I also thought the game, like, it was hard to gain momentum. Yes. I think from either side, just 
how many penalties there were. There were 12 penalties. Dude, the Leafs had seven power plays. Seven power goals. plays. And, and they had a five on three. Couldn't bury one. Like, for like, like oh a minute and a half. Like, yeah. And that's where I see if you give the Leafs that opportunity again. Oh, it's not happening. Anything like, they're, close they're, to it? They're like, scoring. They're going to score. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to score. And yeah, they, like, they would it surprise you if it? they get three power plays tonight and pot two goals? Not, yeah. not, not to me. That power play percentage was running like 90-something percent yeah. earlier in the season. It the, was hot. The Flames got away with it where yeah, like Riley hits the crossbar, Tavares gets robbed. I didn't think I, – I think Matthews just missed the net a few times. Like I thought the Flames did a relatively good job on the PK, like limiting, but like you can't take seven again and yeah. – think you're going to succeed and I, I thought like I thought the Flames had a really good first but the momentum just killed them they couldn't get into a groove and they couldn't you know get playing at five on five and it really limited yeah. I thought Both. Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan and even to an extent Matthew Kachuk because they're not playing as much as they should be you know yeah, four, like, 14 minutes on the teams PK had a soul-sucking game and then the Flames just came out on top and yeah I think tonight will be a lot different because I would hope so in terms of like flow like let them play it'd be more fun too yeah. well let, you can say let them play but like if the power plays are clicking and each team if there's oh, 12 yeah. combined and say you hit on half of them man six, I'm gonna six, enjoy six, at least a five goal game through power plays like yeah because even that'd be fun even the first two games the Leafs and play, Flames played this year I thought um I thought those were a lot more entertaining a lot more. It was yes. back and forth. Yeah. It was high octane, like maybe not high octane offense, but there was a lot more at least there than you know the game on Monday. I liked because the Leafs didn't score, and you know it was a little bit of a snooze fest. But you know, um, there it's going to be a better game tonight. I would hope. And if you're the Flames, your your goal tonight has to be literally everything on net because it is Michael Hutchinson, everything towards the net. Yeah. And if you're the Leafs, you got to limit it from the outside too. Yes. And, and if you do limit it to the outside, you got to make sure you don't tip it and it squeaks through Hutchinson like on the first goal by Sam Bennett. Yeah. Which Hutch, you still got to have that though. But no, yeah, it'll it'll be, be interesting fair, to but... see. And if the Leafs drop two straight, it'll be the first time all season, I believe. Let's like, make it. And happen. they'll still only be at five losses, which is kind of but, insane. Yeah. Edmonton sitting in second place with eight. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know what's funny? If they lose two straight, um, the whole Leafs uh, nation will be turned on upside down because they'll oh, say, yeah. trade this guy, trade Nylander. It's two games, really. Yeah, Come especially on. if Kachuk has, like, a big impact tonight. It's gonna yeah, be, like, it's going to be ridiculous. They're going to be pissed, but, like, you guys are on first. I, I know. know Ed- what's I know there Edmonton, to complain about? I know, I know Edmonton's not far behind, but, like, they have Mike Smith in that. You really think that's going to last? Four points with one more game played. Yeah, so, like... like I, I'd we'll rather, see. I'd much rather be in your situation than what the Flames are kind of going through right now because Incorrect. that, uh, because that run of those four Vancouver games and those two Edmonton games was, oh boy, like, yep. bad, the, really bad. The Flames have a chance here, and they better take hold of it. Where, yeah, especially with Hutch, because Freddie is a like you that, guys say, you guys say Dave, big save Dave's a Leaf killer. Freddie Anderson's been a flame killer since his days in Anaheim. Dating back in Anaheim, yeah. Like, well, that the guy used to give me. Were, but that, yeah. Well, oh, well, yeah, but Freddie Anderson was unbelievable. Yes. And it seemed like every time he played the Flames, it was like, yep, we're not scoring tonight. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, the Flames, too, just quickly. 
Uh, with Montreal's just ahead of them in the standings, I believe. The Flames are third last, Montreal's... Fourth. Fourth last. Uh, well, Montreal's in a playoff with, spot. They are, but you want to make the playoffs, do you not? Yeah. I think if you're the Flames, you really got to capitalize on one of these games. You're sitting three back uh, yeah, the, the, with one more game played, and then the Habs just fired their coach. Yeah, You've got to go on a run here. The big positive thing is, is after tonight, I think... I know they have three straight. It might be four against Ottawa. This I, is your time to, okay, you're finally getting in your nine Ottawa games. Make yep. the most of it. And you have to capitalize on them. Oh, Especially yes. with Montreal being in some... They're a little oh, fragile right little now. A little iffy. This could be very much a point in the season where we see the playoffs yeah. sort of... This is your make or break time. Have yeah. to You have to convert on it. If um, they make it, it'll be a race. If not, playoffs are set. Or you, either way. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, it will be. Um, is there anything you guys want to add before we bring in Mike? No, I think no. we're good here. Thomas? No, that's it. I think we got to do our awards, though, Ralph. Oh, oh, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll do that quick. So uh, we'll round it up with our Players of the Week. I'll start with you, Thomas. Who you got as your Player of the Week? Player of the Week. Uh, I got the guy, Austin Matthews, Big Poppy. I know I said Big Daddy last week for Stahl, but <laughs> this guy's the Big Poppy. So Austin Matthews had a phenomenal week, to say the least, last week. Uh, he had the first start of the week in the NHL across the whole league, so that's pretty impressive. And last week he concurred with five goals, four assists, nine points in four games. So he was lighting it up against, I know, the bad Ottawa Senators, but still lighting it up nonetheless. But Three power play goals, two power play assists, one game-winning goal to go with it. And then on the face-offs, Matthews has been really good this year. I think that's really an underrated part of his game right now. And he's actually winning the draws instead of kind of going 50-50 on the night. He's actually in the winning column on the face-off dot. So I'm impressed with Austin Matthews uh, this season. We've all been impressed at Leaf Nation, even in the NHL. So yeah, for sure. player of the week for me, for sure. Tom? Uh, I got to go with Alex Barkov. Sasha Barkov, whatever you want to call him, whatever he wants to be called. Two goals, three assists for five points. And that's not really what I'm looking at in terms of why I'm giving him my player of the week, even though that is uh, a fairly substantial amount of points. It's just because at both ends, he's finally looking like the dominant runaway Selkie winner that we've expected every year from him. And he's always in the conversation, always has those incredible hands. But this year, he has been absolutely incredible in every aspect on the ice. And he's a big part of why the Florida Panthers are doing what they're doing. Look at them go. Who expected them to be, I believe, first in the division? Or something uh, like that? Like oh, they might, they might have fallen off now, but they were right up there. They've had a and phenomenal start. They have had a phenomenal start. And him and somebody else who I believe you have are a giant part of why they are doing it. That's yeah. why Alex Barkov is my player of the week yeah. and future Selkie winner. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, the Florida Panthers are in first place for 12-3-2, which is phenomenal. And they're, and they're doing it on the back of Chris Drieger, not yes. even their $10 million goal. That's the other part, not which even Bobrovsky. Which is wild, like un, unheard of, but... I'm also going with someone on the Florida Panthers. His former line mate, they've been split up. I'm going with Jonathan Huberto. Is it fair to say Jonathan Huberto is arguably one of the most underrated players in the league now? Like He's almost taking what Barkov used to be. He 
because he's yes. been unbelievable. He had six points in four games this week. I know that number doesn't jump out. It's not like the like I wanted to say Connor McDavid, but I feel like that's an easy out. Huberto yeah. was unbelievable. He's been unbelievable all year um, for the Panthers. He's a force. He's one of the best wingers in the league, and he's maybe finally getting that recognition he deserves. He has 23 points in 17 games. Unbelievable. Wow. So um, he's been driving the play off the wing. Um, and now the most impressive thing is Huberto and uh, Barkov have been driving their own lines, which has been maybe makes the Panthers attack a little more um, sustainable and, and a little more terrifying if you got these two stars yeah. one line on another. So um, Huberto was unbelievable this week, and uh, he's my guy for uh, my player of the week. Yep, solid picks. I mean, can't go wrong with Florida. They're top of the division right now, and can't go wrong with the Leafs and Matthews. Who would have saw the damn Panthers being 12-3-2? No one. I definitely didn't see really? it. So, uh, Do we have a hot take this week, boys, or no? I, I couldn't think of one. I, I wanted to say yeah. something about Jeff Ward, but I don't want to go there. Right. Just just follow me on Twitter if you want to see uh, some mean Jeff Ward tweets. <laughs> All right, time to bring in Mike. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll bring in Mike. All right, we welcome in our third guest on this podcast, Michael Vernace. So if people don't know who he is, he's one of my cousins. I like to think he's one of my cousins right there, Mike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Family, buddy. Yeah, Mike Vernace, uh, he owns his hockey school, Shifty Hockey, and... Uh, he also played in the NHL and he's played in multiple places. So we want to get and pick his brain into where he's played and stuff like that. So without further ado, let's get right into it. And you were drafted in the seventh round of the 2004 draft by the Sharks. Can you tell us the feeling and where you were and when you got the call when you were drafted there? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, like it's it's a great uh, memory for sure. Funny thing about it is actually I was, uh, I was asleep. It was the second day of the draft and, you know, I was coming off of not, uh, I had only played two regular season games and 11 playoff games in the OHL previously. And I wasn't, you know, expecting to get drafted at all. So, um, that morning, the second, it was the second day of the draft, uh, that morning, you know, that before leading up into the weekend, my agent told me that, you know, unless he called me, you know, that it didn't really mean anything. Right. So it was the the next morning, it was early and I heard the phone ring. I was kind of like still sleeping. And then my dad came into my room and he said, Hey, you know, it's your agent. It's Paul. And I go, Oh, okay. So I kind of like got up out of bed he just literally said, you know, a couple of words to me. He goes, Hey Mike, congratulations. You got drafted by San Jose seventh round. Congrats. And then he hung up and I was like, okay, that sounds, uh, that sounds great. Like I, I didn't even get to say anything to him because he was so uh, swamped with stuff to do, but yeah, it, it was, it was awesome. Um, you know, I, I heard my dad outside kind of celebrating because our whole, our house that we grew up in uh, tight quarters. Right. So I could hear him outside, you know, he, he was happy for sure. Uh, and then I went outside and like, you know, him, my mom, my brother, my grandmother, they gave me a big hug and it was, it was great. Like it was really fun. Uh, I went back inside to kind of, you know, get myself together. By the time uh, I walked back outside, you know, all my neighbors were around and that, and so it was, it was really, really fun. It was a good, it was a good day. Um, you know, by this time it was probably like 1130 in the morning. 
I told my parents, I said, Hey, like I'm going to the gym. And that was the first thing I did is I went to the gym. I probably had like a two hour workout. Just, I just had so much adrenaline. I was so excited. Um, had a great workout, came back. By the time I got back, it turned into a full on block party. Uh, you know, if you, if you know where we grew up, like our house is always HQ. Um, everyone kind of congregated there on the street. Uh, so it turned into like an all day party. Uh, I had a lot of my friends, a lot of my family, extended family over there. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Funny that you mentioned, oh, like you were sleeping. Um, cause one of our previous guests, Dylan Webb, he got drafted by the Red Wings and he said the same thing. Like he was in the <laughs> middle of a nap and he saw he got drafted and just went like right back to bed. Yeah. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's different, right? Like for, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into the draft process yep. and, you know, you never, you never know who's got who on what list. Right. So, you know, you can be number you know, 250 to some team and you can be a number 100 to another team. You can be number 10. It does, you know, everybody has their priorities. And so um, going into the draft, I had no expectation. I just was honestly thinking about how can I prepare myself for the upcoming season you know, as a rookie going into my next season in the OHL, I was going to be a rookie. So I, I was only worried in, about, you know, performing well for that. Yeah. It's funny that you say the, um, you know, you might be somewhere on one team's list, another on another. It's, it's like that, that guy from Columbus who went first round this year where they had him, I think they Gina had him at pegged that. Yeah. They had him pegged at two ten most yeah. teams. And then he goes first round. It's, and they it's were going to take cool, him like top five too. <laughs> like half the league didn't have him on their draft board. Like, but it looks good. So like, you never know what could happen. Right. So, yeah, right. I, you know, I just, it, you, you just never know. I think yeah. that's why it's really, really important to just focus on what you can control in that moment. And I think a lot of, a lot of the, um, the teams, their, their draft is always dependent on um, what they need yeah. and what they value and what they prioritize and then kind of who gets picked just around their selections. Right. Like, the player selected just before or just, you know, just after them um, are influenced by what happens, you know, two or three picks beforehand. You played a ton of AHL games and even junior games before you got your, your shot in the NHL and you got 12 games with the abs. Can you just kind of talk about maybe the call-up experience or even like your first NHL game? Like what was that feeling like getting in and just living a childhood dream? Yeah. The call-up experience was kind of cool. I, so it was my third year um, in the American League, and I was in Lake Erie, I was in Cleveland uh, at the time, and we were at our practice rink. It was just a normal, I think it was a Tuesday practice day, um, and I was always, you know, I always loved to train. So I was at the, I was after practice. Um, I was still at the rink. I was doing, you know, taping my sticks or or doing some uh, after practice workout, and. Um, I was just kind of about to leave the rink when my phone rang and it was our assistant coach at the time, Sylvain Lefebvre. And he called me and he said, Fern, Hey, how are you? Um, where are you at? I go, I'm still at the rink. He goes, you're still here. What are you doing here? And I go, I just finished working out and then putting my stuff together. He's like, all right, well come upstairs and see us. I go, okay. So like in my head, I was like, Oh man, what's going on? You know, like I just, I was like, what is, what's going on? So I went upstairs um, him and uh, Joe Sacco were my coaches at the time. They were just kind of sitting in the room. They were going through their game planning stuff. And 
Um, I walked in, we, we chit chatted for about, you know, 10 minutes. Honestly, we're just talking about like how the season was going and all that stuff. So, you know, at this point, I just had absolutely no idea what they're about to tell me. And then, you know, Sly, uh, Sylvain Lefebvre just looked at me, goes, well, Vern, you know, you got your cookie, you got, you're getting called up to the NHL. And I go, and I just, I just like kind of floored. I was like, really? And, you know, Sacco, Joe Sacco looked at me, goes, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, kid. It's a real, uh, it's a real real honor to play in the NHL and and I'm happy for you. And I said, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, And then it was, it was like, kind of surreal at the mo in that moment. Um, I remember walking outside and like, just being in like, almost like this fog, just thinking like, is this really happening? And then, and I got in my car, started driving home. I actually had to go and pick up my, uh, my tax return. I don't know why I remember that at the time, but I had to go and pick it up. So I was just driving there thinking like, I got to focus to get to this place. You know, I have to get the HR block and pick up my stuff here. Uh, and so I called, uh, I called my dad first and I told him and he was uh, obviously really excited. Uh, then I called, um, you know, my wife and she just was super excited. And it was just, it was just such a, a great experience just to be, you know, part, just to have that uh, experience. It was awesome. And then playing in the first game was, was amazing. Like it happened the next day. Uh, so I flew into Minnesota. We, you know, had our team meal uh, the night before, and then we had the um, pregame skate. So I went to the rink and it was kind of unclear whether I was going to play or not. There was a guy who was injured. And so I just, you know, I took practice and I was doing my thing. And then one of the other defensemen kind of said he couldn't go either. So we went home, we went back to the hotel and I saw that my defense partner also got called up. And so in my head, I'm thinking, well, if they're calling up this guy, you know, there's a, probably a good chance that I'm going to play. Right. But I still was not sure. Like I was like, Oh, maybe, yeah, I don't yeah. know, you know, so we go, I have a nap, we go back to the game, uh, go back to the rink. We all go there. You know, the, by this time, you know, I walked in, I saw my Jersey hanging in my stall and I just, you get that feeling in your stomach where it's like, Oh my God, like that's, you know, is this, this is too good to be true at this time. Um, so I got changed and then the coach just came over to me. Uh, Tony Granato just uh, came over to me and he just said, Mike, you're going tonight. And I just, and then everything was just a complete blur. Uh, I don't remember like how I got changed or did it. I just, you know, I remember that I, I was very, very meticulous about my warmups and doing everything I needed to do. Um, obviously, there is that, that nerves that kick in. Uh, but usually, you know, when you go, you're, you're really nervous the further you are away from the game. And by the time it's game time, you walk out the tunnel to go to the ice. Uh, they kind of just dissipate and you just get lost in the moment, which is great. And as you walked out, um, my roommate at the time, uh, was Chris Stewart and he was, I was living with him in back in Cleveland, but he had been up in, in Colorado for some time. So he just looked at me as we were going out for the warmups. He's like, this is the best part. And we walked out and the, the crowd was just roaring. And like, it's just warmups, mind you, this is Minnesota is warmups. I couldn't believe how many people were there. Music was going and you just, you have this adrenaline and an NHL warmup is 
maybe the most fun part about playing in the NHL is just being in that kind of environment. So that was really fun. Yeah. And then a few years you went to Tampa Bay, you made your way there to the Tampa Bay Lightning and you got your first NHL point and it was a goal in against the Flyers in 2011, I believe. And that was Teddy Purcell's goal. So tell us about that. Yeah, I think we were playing against the Flyers. I just, I stepped up to keep a puck into the zone. I passed it to Kubi, to Kabina, Pavel Kabina at the time. I think he made like a, a shot pass over to Teddy uh, on his one-timer side and he caught it and, and shot it in, I think. I think that's how it went. I can't remember. I'm just thinking about the clip in my head, but um, yeah, like it, it's obviously like great. Uh, it would have been nice to get a, a goal in a, in a game. I did score in preseason. Uh, I scored against Carolina with Atlanta. Um, the Thrasher's jerseys were awesome, by the way. Oh too. yeah. That was, that was great. Uh, yeah, those are great. Yeah. But I scored in uh, preseason in Carolina. Um, still searching for that game tape. So I can verify. <laughs> yeah. But uh you know, that was, that was great. Um, yeah, the guys were happy for me for sure. Uh, you know, the, the NHL is such a, a good league and, you know, you make guys, guys have careers um, made because they, they, you know, they have a good opportunity and they make the most of it. And I think that that's something that will forever be true. Um, being able to make the most of your opportunity, what, you know, whatever that, opportunity is whatever you know part of life that is but you know making the most of your opportunity is certainly important especially when you're getting to that level um obviously there's not that many players playing in the nhl on any given team in any given season so those opportunities are kind of rare so um yeah it, it was great for me uh it really helped me in my my own career just my own personal life just to you know some sort of validation, like, Hey, you know, you work for 30 plus years to do, to do something great in like one moment. And it was like, okay, that's, you know, it was worth it at that time. So it was yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. Do you have the puck by chance or. Yeah, I do have the actual puck. Um, I don't have it with me right now. It's actually upstairs uh, in my little uh, more desk uh, yeah. area. I have it on the wall. I have it the, the first game. They have a game sheet. So, when you play your first game, uh, the NHL and Gary Bettman send you uh, the game sheet framed uh, with a puck cool. in it. So that's really cool. Yeah, that was cool. really cool. And then I have the the, the game puck. Uh, so Tampa, they they actually framed the game puck for me uh, with my first point. Um, so that was, and they had said the game sheet on that. So that was pretty cool too. Yeah. So I guess moving on a little bit after your NHL stint, you continued to play more AHL games um, with a few different teams, but. I kind of want to talk about the time you spent overseas. Like you obviously you played in Germany. Um, what was it like playing in, you know, a market that wasn't North America? What was like the differences over in Europe? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Actually, it was so much fun. Um, the, the first year I went over was Germany. Um, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, when I got there, uh, I, I saw the rink and I was like, wow, this is a big rink. SAP arena is a, enormous um did some pre-scouting uh, on things and you know videos from before and saw that like the fans are pretty active and and it was loud and it was great i was like okay this is kind of cool um when i got there I, I realized what sap was and how they're biggest one of the one of the biggest software companies in the entire world 
one of the first things we did when we got there was actually we're still in training camp at the time I got there maybe 10 days into the start of training camp. So I, uh, I was there a little bit after some of the guys. So uh, we were doing some uh, team bonding stuff and we went to go see, check out the SAP like headquarters. Uh, and I could not believe this is 2013, by the way, I could not believe some of the stuff that they had there technology, technology wise. It was unbelievable. Like just thinking about now, like I wouldn't even see any of the stuff that I saw there, like anywhere right now. And thinking that I saw this in 2013, just the cool things that they would be able to do, like swiping with your hand across the globe, you know, across a projector screen um, and, you know, asking a question by voice and getting an answer from some someone at some place in the world by video uh, all automated it was unbelievable at the time it was so cool um and then yeah just getting introduced to the style of play was great uh just culturally they just do things different there so it's also different within the team dynamic mm-hmm. too so it was very very much about the winning uh winning was really really important and you could sense that we're there to win and yes, it's a business for sure, but the culture is so ingrained in winning and losing, right? It's just, it's just about the the atmosphere around the team. We had a, a great uh, booster club event and the booster club there is enormous. Like we all have our own, it's called fan club. Yeah. There's about 20 to 30 people, maybe even more in some cases that is just, your own fan club. Basically they would take you out to dinner or to something, usually a dinner uh, once a month and you just go and hang out with them. But the, mm. the atmosphere is awesome. Like there were some great people. I made some really lifelong friends. Like I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that I met over there. I try to brush up on my German uh, every now and then. Um, Deutsch? Ein bisschen. Yeah, just a uh, little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, but it, it was great. Like I kept a lot of that, those contacts. And I, one thing that I did do was immerse myself in the culture right away. So right away, just kind of going to the grocery store and just seeing, you know, what it's like, um, seeing that, you know, you don't go to the grocery store and, and fill your cart with groceries. You just go for like, you know, three or four or five items mm, uh, that you're yeah. going to use for the day. And then you go back the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first day I showed up and had my cart somewhat full, <laughs> the lady looked at me like I had seven heads <laughs> and she said, no, you can't do that. Yeah. She like refused to, I think she was more like upset that she had to actually take all the items. Wow. out. Again. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, and uh, the, my first phrase that I learned was, uh, Neiman Z credit carton. Um, basically uh, accept credit card because yep. I had no money. And like, let me oh. guess, they probably didn't. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> they, they did. They did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thankfully. Yeah. They're the Germans are very, very savvy people. They're very, very intelligent people too. Uh, it's a great culture. The hockey was awesome. Once I got on the ice, we had our, we were part of champions league that year. So oh, yeah, yeah. our oh, first yeah. games were, we had some exhibition. Um, we played our you know second league team. But then we went to play in Champions League, and then we played. Uh, we played in 
Switzerland. We played against uh, Zug and uh, Zurich. And then we played at home against a, f- a couple Finnish teams. I forget who it was. I don't know if it was, it was Jokerit or someone. At the time, Jokerit was still in the Finnish league. And then we went to Sweden and we played against Firestad and um, I forget the other team that we played against. But we, uh, we it was really fun. Like that was like a, a great experience in itself just to be able to play in all those countries like right when I got there. And then our first home game of the regular season – was nuts i could not believe what was going on the fans were chanting they had choreographed like things that they would do in the stands where they would hold up like signs and each each play like the the fan section was about five thousand people it was all behind the other team's net in the first and third period and they had choreographed like um just routines where they would hold up a sign on one side it would be a part of a bigger picture that the whole fan wow. it's like a soccer game yeah exactly it's exactly like that and they've chanted the whole game all game yep. long and it That's- was just unbelievable experience and that was so much fun um we came out of this giant like eagle in a tunnel and like the the fire that they like it was wow. literally like they were gonna burn my skin. that's why I lost my hair. <laughs> oh, but it was it was amazing. Um, I don't know if you guys hear about you know Carlo Koliakbo on TV. He talks about oh, yeah. it a lot, but he you know he references Mannheim quite a bit, and it, it's true. Like it's an unbelievable experience to play, in, especially in that market. Like we packed our arena, fourteen thousand or fifteen thousand people every single home game. We would sell, you know, a thousand tickets in some away rinks, you know, like wow. we, yep. there was one game every year where the fans would ride a train. So there'd be two trains for a train full of fans and they would go to, it was in Hamburg. So it was about a five and a half hour train ride and they would just ride the train and, you know, drink the German beer and have a great time. And by the time they got there, they were all, you know, feeling great and you could hear them and they had this enormous sign and they were chanting from before we got on the ice for warm-ups they were chanting you know and you know as a player you see that and you're like wow these people spent their money and they spent their afternoon and they came just to watch us it's unbelievable and then and part of the, the the lure of that trip is the players have to ride the train home with the <laughs> with the team, uh, with the, with the, um, uh, the fans there. So on this particular day, uh, our team wasn't doing so well. We were kind of struggling and we, we got, we got beat and we lost pretty bad. And our, our, uh, our coach didn't allow us to have any fun and go on the train home with the fans. That was kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, normally they ride the, the train home with the fans. Yeah. It was awesome. We had yeah, Germany a- was amazing. Like there's so much, fun stuff like the league is great there's so many good players who are just old you know just past like playing in the nhl days you know going overseas and there's a lot of really good young germans and you can see some of the talent that's coming out like you see a guy like dry settle he's <sighs> a bona fide nhl star you know and right. a kid like that stutzler kid he's really yeah. really good like like he, said, he played in Mannheim last year yeah, uh, yeah. last season yeah last yeah, season, last season. So, I mean, uh, cider too like that's the thing of like germans of um they're very much starting to really enjoy the sport of hockey mm-hmm. and as soon as they get on board with it and it becomes like 
a normal thing for them, they're going to be one of the powerhouses. Yeah, no, I, I really believe that too. Like they just need to put some emphasis on, you know, getting their games, you know, yeah. exposure and they play like the, the league plays Friday and Sunday. So, yeah. and they've got a good new deal um, to watch T to watch the games on TV. Uh, I think it's magenta sport um, that, that kind of took over the league or penny penny uh, DL now they're called. And I think, uh, they just made that transition during the the lockdown, the pandemic here, but um, yeah, they they do things well. They they treat the players amazing. Like yeah. it's a very very top notch uh, organization for sure. Yeah. It's pretty cool that um, you talk about like the experience was so positive because um, you know we hear like I guess not in like the German or we may hear more from the KHL or even a guy that you played with. I don't know if you've heard the interview of Tim Stapleton on Chicklets where he was talking about like the things happening in Russia. It's, it's pretty cool that, you know, the experience is mostly positive. Yeah. Well, every place has their ups and downs. Right. And even when, you know, just imagine the Euros coming over to North America, right? Like it's just oh. different, right? Like it's just a very different lifestyle, you know? So a little I mean, more intense. Yeah. It, go, it goes, it kind of goes both ways. Um, for sure. Uh, my experiences overseas were by and large, very positive. And, you know, the hockey was great. Um, but for me, the life, the lifestyle, uh, being able to do all those things, uh, and see all those places of the world was amazing. It's really shaped me as a human being now. Right. Like a lot of the stuff that I do now is because I lived overseas and because I did, you know, those things. Is there any like other, city like you said Mannheim a lot but you also played for Rogel one in the Danish league like is there any other yeah, city that really stands out to you yeah so I played in I played in Mannheim in Germany then I played in, yeah. in Rogla in in Sweden Rogler. um I played in um for for Hervar in uh the Austrian league where, where the team is in is in Hungary so that was really interesting and that's what I, it was that confused yeah. me when I was looking at yeah. it yeah, well, they, their team name is it's got a lot of letters in it, yes. but it's pronounced Sikish <laughs> Fehervar. Uh, that was really, really fun. And then uh, the last last place was um, in Rungstedt uh, in Denmark, just outside of, of Copenhagen. That was amazing. That was really, really cool. Um, we had my wife and I. Um, we had our first son uh, going into that season, so he was he was there. So he kind of grew up in Denmark. So that was uh, awesome. It's just such a That'd great cool. experience to to bring him up in a different country, uh, just to learn how to be parents somewhere different. And you see, like I think Denmark for sure has shaped us, you know, more than all the other places, just because we had to learn so much uh, and interact with their actual day to day life so much there because we had a child and just you know you have to think about things like where's the local doctor or you know, yep. what do I need to buy the kid to eat? Right. And, and luckily for us, Denmark is an unbelievable country. They, all their stuff is just top notch, top quality. I mean, they're taxed quite a bit, so it better be, but um, one thing that's really cool about Denmark is they have a, the longest bike paths in the world and you can, wow. yes. everywhere. Yep. you can bike from the top of the country down to the bottom of the country. And they actually put taxes on vehicles there. Uh, it used to be 125% tax. I think it's moved down to like maybe a hundred. Oh, so 
you know, if you buy a car for 10,000, it actually costs you 20,000. So, I mean, it's, it's nuts there just, just in tax. So a lot of people bike everywhere, which is great. Like I, I just, I think that's something that if executed well is on, is a great way to immerse yourself in, in culture. It builds culture just because you get to interact with more people. Mm -hmm. It's funny. You actually brought up like the bike thing. Cause, um, I told you I'd, just got back from Munich and yeah. living there for four months. Um, before that, I was actually, I went to school in Finland. Um, oh, nice. And if you might know the team, Uvascula. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, worked for them. Oh, uh, nice. One of my friends is playing over there right now, too, in Tampere. Was it? Tampere. Tampere, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, what's his name? Uh, Blake Parlet. Okay, no, I'm not sure. But yeah, like, it's just such a cool experience to be able to, like, be over there and it's like here oh if you play for the leafs oh you get to go see vancouver or whatever um man if you take a five-hour flight from germany you end up in the uk or spain yeah. or portugal like yeah no it's, it's crazy it's, it's it's really cool yeah living um, in europe is so different like uh we took a five-hour we we drove when i was living in Mannheim. we drove for five hours and we went through five different countries yeah. i think we were in germany france uh belgium luxembourg and then we ended up in the netherlands so, you know, here you take five hours from Toronto, you're driving, you get to Ottawa, you know, like, yeah. and, <laughs> I mean, it's just different, right? It's a bigger landmass, obviously, where it's a bigger yeah. place, but everything is, but that's part of why Europe thrives and why it's about, the, why the culture is so great there, because you, everybody interacts with everybody, you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. you just, yeah. there's just so much more opportunity to interact with, with people. Yeah. And the beer is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bringing it back here, the Brampton Beast, unfortunately, they um, folded yeah, the team folded. the other day. Yeah. So that was a little unfortunate. We both have a little bit of a connection there. You more than I do. But uh, do you have any memories from playing with them or like any yeah. friendships? Oh, for sure. There? I actually, playing in Brampton was awesome because I met so many good guys there. Like people think of the East Coast League and they think of it as, you know, either it's a lot of, older players who, you know, can't play anymore, or it's a, just all young prospects. And to some extent, um, the younger prospects definitely is true. And it, but it's a lot of guys who are choosing to play hockey and they can play like near their home. Um, yeah. There's a lot of advantages to playing in the East coast league. You actually can probably make a little bit more money if you're an older guy playing in the East coast league than you can play uh, even at the American league level. Um, so you know, it's a, it's pretty strategic to be able to, to do something like that. Um, for me, it was a great experience. I actually, uh, our team that year set the record for most players, uh, used in one single season. What? I can't remember. I think it was, I don't know if it was 62 or 72 players Holy that we were oh. using. We had six or 14 or 15 goalies that year. Yeah. I was looking at that and there's a yeah, bunch. It's, it's, a, it's a lot like we're, we just, we had a lot of players moving up and moving down and transacting. And we were, you know, we were affiliated with uh, Montreal at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we, they were in Laval. So we had guys kind of going up and down. So we would get three players for a weekend and then, you know, they get sent back and then we get another three players next weekend. So that's six players in, you know, one week. Right. And then plus all the guys who were, who were kind of rostered there, 
they're just getting transacted. But it was it was crazy. Like playing in that league is is something else. And for us, we always had to cross the border and then come back home. Uh, so if we didn't have enough players to play uh, some games, we had to play so short. Like we one time played an entire you know three games in three days with two lines and four. We started with five defensemen. Uh, one guy got injured the first game. We played 4D and, <laughs> and six forwards. <laughs> it was it was crazy uh, playing three games in three days like that. Um, made some great friends. Jordan Henry, uh, he was captain there for a while. Yeah, he's awesome, hilarious. Awesome, awesome guy. Um, Brandon Marino, another great guy. Uh, just a lot of a lot of good guys uh, that I played with that came out of that um, that team, especially that year. Uh, the coach there, Colin Chalk. Uh, Really smart guy, really good coach. Um, he ended up going, moving up to Belleville now, uh, the year after. Um, he's uh, he was really good. He was good with the players, uh, which was which is cool. It's good. It's good to see a lot of young players come through there and move up. Like we had Zach Fucali come through yeah. there. Right. Uh, good kid, hard worker. Uh, and then for me, the most, I mean, the one that st- uh, stands out the most, is I got to play with my brother. Uh, yep. It's the only time we got to play together uh, in pro hockey. Uh, he came up out of college that season and he played with us for the rest of the year after his season, which is amazing. Like I'm, I'm thankful that I got that opportunity to do that. It's one of the best hockey memories I have for sure that, you know, that stretch of time when I got to play with him there for sure. It's awesome. Uh, and uh, one final question from me in terms of the beast, will David Lang ever retire? <laughs> oh yeah, Lang. <laughs> He is something He's else, that guy. 46 right now and still going? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Incredible. I mean, it's uh, it's something else. Like, I played with him. He was he was getting up there at the time. He, he's just a he's a character, but he keeps himself in, in good shape. He's strong as an ox, that guy. And he just, you know, he just knows how to play hockey. He's still, he can, he was, at that point, he was still able to play, which is great. Funny, funny guy. Um, he was actually, you know, pretty entrepreneurial on the side too. So he, he's able to, you know, kind of make it work, which is good. Uh, I played with a few guys that were a little bit older. I played with, uh, Chris Chelios when he was 49 in his really? last year. Wow. Yeah. It was unbelievable. He, um, yeah, the way he could still, you know, do it at that age was, was awesome to see just. It was just like thinking back about it now, it's like, wow, like imagine him being able to do that. Yeah. He's playing at a high level. But yeah, he was, he's a Hall of Famer and yeah. there's no doubt about it. So uh, before we get into the post, some of the things you're doing in post career, I wanted to get to, um, I always ask this question of former players. What is like the funniest story you can tell us that's like PG or like one memory that you'll never, ever forget. That's the, like every time you think about it, you just laugh out loud. <laughs> Uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but like, I just think about like just the absurdity. Um, when I was playing in, <laughs> when I was playing in Germany, we, we had a game in Augsburg and then we had, you know, we didn't play until the following, we played on a, I don't know if it was a Friday and we didn't play for a bit. I think we didn't play until the next week. So we didn't have a game on the Sunday. So mm-hmm. all I know is that we didn't have a game in you know, the coming, you know, two or three days. So we played in Augsburg uh, or Straubing, one of the two. And 
so after the game, we ended up uh, going to Oktoberfest in Munich. Oh, yeah. So it was such a great time. Um, I couldn't even believe what we were what we were doing but uh we ended up going so we we ended up sorry it was the next day it was the next day we went on a on a saturday so we took the train uh took a bus or something i can't remember how we got there but we got there we got there around 11 30 um so we had uh we had until whatever at night we just said okay we're gonna meet at you know at some point at the night you know guy the guys there were texting with each other saying, hey, we'll meet at this point. So we're there from 11.30. So we just, uh, we did, we split up. Everyone kind of had their, you know, their time to themselves to walk around. So I, you know, stayed with some of the, the local guys and some of the guys, you know, the North American guys, we kind of hung out, we walked around. So I just tagged along with the guys who knew what they were doing. So you walk in to all these huge, like, you know, tents, beer tents and beer gardens. It's like, oh my God, like this is, unbelievable what's happening you know you see people standing on tables uh drinking or chugging actually chugging you know steins of beer as a liter of beer uh in one shot i remember i was we were sitting at a table we had some food because i don't know you're you had to eat at some point during the day um this this guy stands up right on the table next to us and he starts singing, you know, he stomps his feet and he just, I can't remember how it goes, but he says, I'm pro, see, I'm pro, see. And then he starts singing the song and then he tried to, you know, he started to chug his liter of beer and he got like, I don't know, maybe halfway done and he couldn't do it anymore. And people booed him down. Like there were, <laughs> there was everyone booed. It was unbelievable. And he was a big guy, not, not even five minutes later, a girl right next to us uh stood up on the on her table and she started singing and then she proceeded to slam the whole liter of beer the place erupted it was so it was such a funny funny time um yeah like i think for me like i don't really i'm not a big beer drinker but you know when you're in there it's it's you know fun to do i think i had five i ended up having five that day in like in like 12 hours some of the guys had like 16 and i just <laughs> think to myself what, what is happening like how can you how are you alive like you know so the fun the funnier part to me was we ended up we ended up getting back on the train back home at 1 a.m we got Back to Man, it's a three-hour train ride. We got back to Mannheim at 4 a.m. We normally practice at 10, 10.30. Our coach, for some reason, thought it was a good idea for us to sweat it out. We had to practice. We had to actually be on the ice for practice at 8.30 a.m. So we got in at 4 a.m. We had to then get home and then go to sleep and then travel back to the rink and then, and then uh, practice. Um, so, I mean, we went to practice. I remember everyone was completely sloshed. I, I, it was the most afraid I've ever felt playing hockey. I, you know, we guys could barely stand up. They were hungover or still drunk, tired, uh, and trying to make passes. Uh, so every time I think about that story, I kind of have a chuckle. Did your coach like know at the time, like, okay, like these guys are like, they did something at Oktoberfest. 
Oh no, absolutely. He yeah. said, go and do it. Like you have to, like it, part of, part of the European culture is like doing what you got to do there. So it's like, it was just, it was a great, fun, fun time for sure. Uh, just before Thomas gets into the, uh, your shift at hockey program, who was your favorite team and who was your favorite player growing up? Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, from Toronto. Um, yeah. Like I, I find it hard that, that, you know, people would cheer for, you know, a place that's not their hometown. <laughs> that's your story right here. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I find it hard to like, understand, like, I don't, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess, you know, there's different things now, like, honestly, like I, that was me growing up. Um, now it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, I played for Colorado, I played for Tampa. So it's, it's even different now to watch the games. And even with like my kids just to like, you know, how am I going to do this? Like, uh, what are they going to do? But they'll be Lee fans. Like that's, that's for sure. Um, I was a huge, huge diehard Lee fan. Uh, Doug Gilmore, definitely my favorite player growing up, um, which is great. And I've, I've got to, you know, interact with him, you know, a couple times. He does some stuff with some of the kids that we train uh, some, some really good stuff, some charitable stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played against him in this little, like, I don't know, it was early in my career. It's like a little like charity game. Uh, and it was fun to be on the ice with him. I also really, really love Matt Sundin too. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. And I got to play against him, uh, in when he was the, the year he was in Vancouver this year I played on Colorado. So it was, it was fun. I got to play against him. Uh, he was a big, big man. <laughs> very good at hockey or <laughs> now like like now that you watch with your kids like who do you tell them okay i want you to like replicate their game well my my oldest my oldest son is only three and a half so he uh when we watch we're just watching to kind of identify players and mm-hmm. see um he likes you know austin matthews and you know mitch marner uh my personal favorite player uh, on the leafs is matthews just because i i love the the skill level I love the way he plays the game. I love the way he plays in all areas of the game. He competes yeah. well. He's really smart. He's really intuitive. He's got great, great skills. Um, I just I just like the type of player that he is. Uh, but my favorite player uh, is Crosby. Uh, I think that he has, you know, the best, the best um, mix of everything that you want in a, in a hockey player. Uh, and he's, for me, he's a top five player of all time. Uh, I think what he's done in his career, you know, has been extraordinary and to be that consistent for that long is really, really tough, especially, you know, now I think just with the parity in the game and between the players, like going through it, like for me, like I was always a tweener. So getting the difference between me getting called up and getting set down was, was so minuscule, you know, it's based on, you know, a lot of different things that was I playing well at the time that someone was injured in the NHL and they were going to call me up or, you know, was I not playing well at the time and needed the guy you know, and they call someone else. So there's a lot of small little things that happen and, and that happens like everywhere, you know, being able to go from a third liner to a second liner, you know, it's so, it's so minuscule and to be the top player in the league and to dominate for as long as he did and as long as he has is really impressive. And I, you know, I find that I, I, I think that most people, you know, they can't really comprehend how 
how much effort it takes to be mm-hmm. the best player in any given league or sport or be at the top of anything, right? Like when I look at, I'm just thinking about athletes, right? Like when you look at LeBron, you look at Jordan, you look at, you know, Tiger, you look at um, Crosby. An incredible player. So we're, he just reaches 1,000 game on Saturday. So yeah. I can't believe it's already 1,000, but he should have already been at 1,000. But yeah. anyways, to shift things into your post-career with shifted hockey, how did that start and how did that idea pop in your head? And was it always something you wanted to do when you were like thinking about stuff? Was it always something you wanted to do, open up your own hockey camp? Yeah, I just, I always uh, was interested in how can I be a better athlete, right? Like for my own self. So just in my own self-discovery, just trying to find different ways to be a better athlete. Like the question that athletes always ask themselves, and it's a question that you ask about every single thing you do is, will this make me a better athlete, right? Will this get me to be a better player? And, you know, those are the questions that led me to, you know, kind of going on the internet or reading books or, you know, anything that would, that way I could find, you know, answers or unlocks. So for me, I was always really in- interested in that kind of stuff. Um, doing like the, the business side of things, I started getting more interested into it. Uh, when my wife actually, she was in university at the time and, you know, she, she actually had a, a project to do in university. It was a marketing project and she asked me to help. Uh, she said, okay, what, what can we do? And so she's like, she picked, you know, hockey sticks. She goes, okay, you can help me with it. So she was like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll dumb it down for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so we did, and all we had to do was about the leading hockey brands and the hockey sticks in the mall. I found that really, really interesting just to, you know, find that product information. And I was like, okay, this, I'm kind of curious about this. So that kind of got me thinking. Um, you know, maybe it was 08 or 09 when I started thinking, what, uh, what am I doing here on a day-to-day basis? So I, I noticed that we were doing team video and in the video sessions, it was mostly like, you don't want to be on video because the coaches are going to call you out and show all the stuff that you're doing bad. And I was like thinking to myself, like, there's gotta be a better way. Like, I think it, there's something here. If they're using it as a tool, like there's gotta be a better way. So, um, I started just thinking about, how, how can this, you know, be useful? And over the next few years, it just kind of like, it was just more idea, you know, ideation. When I got to Germany and I saw the tech that was going on in there, I was really, really excited about just learning more. Yeah. Um, so I started, I started, you know, doing some analysis on my own games. That way, any, anytime an event happened, I could track a game in real time. So I could create my own um, little uh, that I could track my own game with. So I was creating these buttons and then I was watching my own video and I was tagging stuff and I was compiling data and, and I was thinking to myself, okay, this is kind of cool. This is fun. I always numbers. I always love stats uh, growing up, looking in the newspaper, just look at the standings and mm-hmm. game, trying to figure out, you know, how many points the teams are going to accrue. And so I was really, really interested in that. And then the second part was, you know, I think based on experience, was the actual coaching part. Okay, yeah. so now I have the number. What do I need to do to make myself better? So, okay, now it's like, okay, work. If, you know, you know, X amount of shots, okay, how can I actually, you know, hit the net more? What am I doing? Right, right, right. 
what's my technique like uh, when I'm shooting? Like how how tactical um, or technical can I get with this analysis? So that's yeah. kind of where it started. And that was in 2013. And then I just started doing it from my, my cousin um, who was playing minor hockey at the time and one of the kids on his team. And then by the time it was 2015, I had been doing it for a couple of years already. And then... Uh, in 2016, we had our first, uh, we, we launched as a, or, I mean, we incorporated and then we had our first contract with a, with a team, a hockey team, and we started from there. The analysis that goes into and what you do for that camp is honestly spectacular. It's really important for minor league players to learn like the, the stuff you're teaching at your school. And I see the one-on-one videos you have that you can contact and send a video in and analyze game. It's really good. So if you want to plug in your stuff, your ads for the Twitter, Instagram, go ahead and we'll tell the listeners to follow it. Yeah. Like most of the stuff, uh, it's just at shifted hockey, uh, no E and in shifted S H I F T D hockey. Um, yeah, like we're, we're, we're on social. Like it's just, honestly, it's just me running this, running the stuff. Um, and we have some, some guys who do, uh, content, you know, video creation or some graphics, that we have that we'll, we'll, um, that we always usually tag in, in the posts anyway. So you can see them there. They're, they're good kids. They're good people. Um, and they're, you know, they're doing a good job and they're helping us quite a bit, uh, grow it. Uh, we've, you know, over the course of the last year, uh, during the kind of pandemic lockdown, we've grown quite a bit and it's yeah. been great. And we're looking forward to, you know, kind of doing more, more and more. Um, I think technology is allowing us to be able to do this. Um, most people are just kind of seeing the power of the one-on-one video interaction now, but we've been doing it for the better part of probably eight years now. So it's mm-hmm. been, it's been, it's been good. It's been really, really fun. It's been a good journey for sure. Yeah. I think we have a less than a minute here, but if you guys have anything to add, um, go ahead now, but I think we're just all in agreement. We thank you for your time. And it was honestly really fun to chat with you. We could have you on in the future soon. For sure. It's really great to be on. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on for sure. Um, It's great to get back into the podcasting world. Uh, You guys are doing a great job. Um, I really appreciate you guys. And uh, make sure you cheer for the Leafs there. (laughs) (laughs) Now we'll see tonight. We'll see tonight. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Hey, guys. Thank you. Yeah, we thank Mike Vernacci for coming on the podcast, talking about his experience in Europe, experience in the NHL and AHL, and as well as his hockey school. So I think that's it from all of us at the Burning Leaf Podcast. We will chat with you guys next week.